Hi, and welcome to episode number four of Toller Talk by High Country Tollers. I'm Randy Harold, and today I'm really excited to let you guys know that we have a guest on, a guest that has 11 national, international, and invitational podium placements, 18 national, invitational, and finals appearances, nine regional championship wins in the U.S. and Canada, and agility. So if you love the sport of agility, then you have no doubt heard of Mr. Terry Simons. Terry is a celebrated competitor, a dog trainer, an author, an animal activist, and a host of Fox Sports One Masters Agility Championship at Westminster. He is also founder of Clear Canine Lymphoma Education Awareness and Research, a 501c3 corporation dedicated to educating dog owners about canine cancer. And I will also tell you on the back end of his resume, I know that uh, his dogs also carry hunt titles and other titles to go with it. And we're really lucky that we've got uh, such an esteemed guest who also is a toller owner. Uh, Before we get going, I will also tell you that he's appeared on Hallmark Channel a few times, and I will put the links on my webpage for all of his information. Should you be looking for a trainer in California, or should you want to open up your heart and help not only canines, but humans in the fight for cancer? So please welcome Terry. Terry, are you there? Well, I stole it all from the internet. <laughs> well, we all know the internet doesn't lie. <laughs> well, no, no. I met my wife there. No, not really. Sorry. <laughs> so, so Terry, where did you grow up? Um, I'm an Air Force brat. So, I was born in Washington <clears throat> State, um, moved to Alaska, Florida, Washington, D.C., Northern California, Las Vegas, and finally wound up in Southern California. Oh, wow. So when you were growing up, did you have any pets, any dogs growing up? Yeah, um, I grew up with um, uh, Swiss Shepherds, white German Shepherds. Really? And Yeah, they've always, they've always had a special place in my heart, those dogs. So, so I guess... What got you into dog sports? I, I think I, I heard somewhere that you were originally a chef or a restaurateur. Or... Well, yeah, I was, I, was in, I've been, I was in the restaurant business for uh, around 30 years. And um, while I was still in the restaurant business, um, my soon-to-be wife, Kim, um, and I moved in together and decided we would get a dog. Now, I had been up in Vancouver, Canada with a friend of mine doing some research for a screenplay, and um, we went across to this outdoor convention, and there was a setup of these little red dogs doing what they do best, and um, I was just enthralled by these dogs, and I went over, and I was handed a flyer, and I hung on to that flyer. It was dog-eared. It had phone numbers written on it. But when Kim and I moved in, I handed her the flyer, and I said, this is our dog. And so we got our first holder by the name of uh, Rembrandt, because 
helping a friend paint their um, their uh, condo, and he knocked over his enclosure, got out, stepped in the paint, and walked across the carpet. <laughs> so we dubbed him Rembrandt because we couldn't call him Vinnie Van Gogh. That just wasn't going to work. <laughs> but he, he was Rembrandt, and so since I was in the restaurant business, I worked odd hours, so I had more time with him. And Kim went to her own little outdoor function, and there was fly ball and agility, and she saw that, and she came home, and she goes, you know, I want to do something with, uh, with Rembrandt, and um, it's called dog agility. And I said, well, you go ahead, you go do that. And so for, you know, a good year, she had um, worked with him and trained him and bonded, and she said, will you go to my first show? I said, sure. So I went to the, the first show she was at. And being novices at everything, we bought all the wrong stuff. But we, we set up our, um, our little area there. And uh, she ran him. And I went, that looks like fun. I said, can I do it? She said, sure. She walked me around the course. And sure enough, uh, Rembrandt was, was good and helped me out. And we ran the course and we qualified. And uh, I've never turned back. <laughs> that is... That is absolutely amazing, you know, all the time in Tollers because you had left your restaurateur and started your training business. I kind of thought it was you that got Kim into it. I had no idea that Kim dragged you into it. It's it's funny how we get there. Yeah, she yeah, she dragged me into it. We shared we shared Rembrandt and then we got our second toller which was Roxanne. And trained her, and then Roxanne became her dog. Rembrandt became my dog, and off we went. That's a, it's kind of a similar story to Wendy and I's. You know, uh, we had gotten Trapper just to solely be my hunting dog, and without spending a lot of time because I did it in the first podcast, uh, it ended up being that uh, wow, we're deep, we're deep in it now. So the showing, the obedience, the rally, uh, everything. It's it's funny how that happens. So so you get your first two dogs. You've got his and her dogs, which we did too. I had Trapper and Wendy has Ruger. And uh, you're living the life. At what point did you decide that, hey, I'm going to do this full time? That came quite a, quite a, quite a many years later. Um, I still enjoy the restaurant business and I would love to get back, but I don't have the time with everything I'm doing, but, um, I went full time probably right after the year 2000. Um, I was still shuffling back and forth between restaurants and consulting and doing some teaching and everything else like that. And I think finally, right around 2000, I finally went in full time. Wow. Uh, that has to be that had to be a tough transition, you know. Being your own boss and uh, a uh, entrepreneur, I understand that in my business. But going from running restaurants to jumping in full time into training—what a leap of faith! It, did it work out? Was it pretty easy at the beginning? For me, it was. For Kim, it wasn't. She, you know, was used to seeing those. You know, weekly, bi-week, uh, weekly, bi-monthly paychecks, and you know, and uh, now she's wondering where the money's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, 
you know, after Kim and Wendy listen to this podcast, let's keep them separated for a while. It'd help us both out. <laughs> so, it turned out to be, you know, rather successful. Oh, terribly successful. Look what you've done. It's uh, really impressive. So for those out there, when I started this podcast, I, I thought, man, I want to start from the beginning. I want, you know, experienced people might listen to this very podcast, and they'll listen to it, the agility people, just to hear your voice. Um but I think, you know, you've got the Steve Rios here, Maureen Bumtrog here in Colorado, and they probably won't be too interested in how to start out in agility. But you said something earlier about you bought all the wrong stuff. So take a guy like me that's never done agility. Uh, where do we start? Well, the first thing you probably would do is just look up any local agility clubs in your um, in your neighborhood. Um or any trainers, I mean, it's, it's not hard anymore, even, I'm sure even where you guys are, there are, there are agility trainers um, that you can find. That's the first thing I would do, is I would just, you know, whether you go to the AKC website and find some clubs that are local to you, or you just do an internet search, of, you, know, you know, hey Siri, find a local dog agility club in my area, and see what pops up. That's the, first, that's the first thing I would do. I mean, we all know, well, my dog loves to jump and my dog loves to run and my dog loves to play, but at the same point in time, that doesn't mean they're going to be good or even want to do agility. I mean, it, it, the greatest thing about agility is once you start, you do become addicted, but it helps build an incredible relationship with you and your dog. And that's the cool thing about it. So you don't necessarily have to be good at agility, but if you wanted to start and build a relationship with your dog and build confidence in your dog, agility is a great place to start. Well, I, you know, I understand that relationship from hunting. It's uh, I never imagined I could have the relationship with a dog, key in on him, uh, that I did. I have a pro trainer here. Well, she's a pro handler here in Colorado, who's actually the one that told us about Tollers, that accuses uh, Trapper and I of sharing a brain. And I think it was definitely true because of that type of a relationship. So, you know, I'm really excited about it. I know Wendy took Trapper to a couple of classes and then backed off. He did pretty well, but I think Ruger would probably be more our agility dog than Trapper was. It's, uh, I love watching them, but I got to ask you another question. Would you please explain all the titles? I see agility dogs and they have 50 gazillion titles behind them and I don't know what any of them mean. There's different courses, there's different setups, I know there's different heights. Well, so the hard part about it, and I don't even know all the alphabets, you know, you know, behind somebody's name, <laughs> because I just, I, you know, titles show up in the mail, I go, oh, great, look what I did. <laughs> um, I don't really keep a, a, a tight track on things. But in AKC, you have novice, open, excellent, and masters. So you can, there's four different levels right there where you're going to receive a jumper's title, a jumper's with weeks title, a standard title, a time to beat title, uh, a 
fast, you know, 15 uh, and send time. Uh, so you're going to be able to just accrue a, 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 an incredible alphabet behind your dog's name. And that's just AKC. You add USDAA and all of their titles, and you add NADAC and ASCA. Those are all agility titles. So if a dog is doing more than one venue, they could have just so many titles. And then after you reach the upper echelon of masters, you have your silver, your gold, your bronze, you know, and your bronze two, your gold three, you know, it just, I couldn't even tell you where all of mine mean at the end of my dog's name. <laughs> so so yeah. let me ask you this one. So let's take, you said jumpers. If you do jumpers, yeah. is there a time to beat in jumpers title? Is there other titles within running that. So let's say you're running one venue. Can you get two, three titles running that one venue? Okay. So venue meaning um, NKC would be one. United mm -hmm. States Dog Agility would be another. Uh, North American Dog Agility Council would be another. Those are like the venues. Um, when you go to a show, yep. Jumpers with Weaves stands alone. Okay. You cannot get another title within that that class. It stands alone. Okay. So jumpers with weaves, so you get your novice title. After three um, qualifying legs, you would move into open. After three qualifying open legs, you would move into excellent jumpers with weaves. After three um, qualifying legs is excellent, you would then move into masters, where you could start earning points towards your championship. Now, where does this... So you can see how the titles can accrue. Oh, and then to get your championship, let's say in AKC, you have to have um, your dog be in Masters, Jumpers <clears throat> with Weeds, and Masters Standards. So they've gone from Novice to Open to Excellent and then into Masters. And then to get that championship in AKC, you have to have 750 points. And the points you get are the points you accrue by how much under standard course time you are. So if you qualify in jumpers with weeds and the standard course time is 50 seconds and you ran the course in 30 seconds, you get 20 points. So you would have to accrue 750 points. And then on top of that, you have to, you would have to accrue what they call double cues, which would be qualifying in standard and in jumpers with weaves in the same day. And how many of those do you need? 20. So where does this whole mock bar, I've seen Steve and Mary's mock bars come uh, in. Okay, so I couldn't tell you when the tradition started, but when you would get your championship, somebody one day must have just stole the last bar off of a jump. And said, I'm keeping this because I got my championship. And it just started that anytime you got a championship, you took, a, you took a bar or somebody gave you a bar and you had all your friends write on it, congratulations, woohoo, look how good you are, what a team. They would write on your bar and then you would save it. Well, I got to tell you, you know, the agility people seem like a lot of fun. Uh, the hunt test people get pretty serious. <laughs> well, I, I've done both venues. And it, it's, it is quite different. But, you know, it, it's a little bit more serious in the hunt. But I quite 
enjoy sitting around waiting for my turn and talking to everybody. And um, so they all have their pluses. Oh, yeah. And I, I think more importantly, it's involvement with your dog. And that's why we're all here. So, uh, I got a question for you about getting ready for agility. Um, I always say that the basis of anything we do with our dogs is obedience and that people ought to work on that up front. Would you agree with that for agility? Um, <clears throat> you don't need formal obedience, but your dog needs to understand what you would need to do to... to to go into formal obedience. Your dog should have a stay. Your dog should have a recall. Your dog should have a sit, a down. They should have the normal things that every dog should have, whether they are a pet dog or a competitive um, uh, dog. They should all have that. Do you need it to get into and to start? No, because we start puppies at eight weeks old doing stuff. Okay. So when we talk about starting a puppy off at eight weeks old doing stuff, is, is it more of an introduction? I know a lot of people, and I'm one of them. You know, I try to, when I introduce dogs to birds, it's as soon as they clear their second set of shots. Uh, that's when I get them gun trained and introduce them to birds. And I start working them in the field, but I'm really light on it, and I'm really careful about how I do it because those growth plates haven't uh, closed yet is what's your opinion on that well so starting a puppy at eight weeks is, is just like starting a puppy i mean we play we do chase games immediate you know you start your recalls you start your name recognition uh you start them on balancing and finding their balance you know all kinds of fun little you know puppy stuff like you know literally everything most uh, breeders now do you know that they put in the roping box you know they put teeter potters in roping boxes small ones you know, they put tunnels and they, they put all kinds of stuff for the dogs to get on. And so you just continue with that sort of thing. And you, 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 you work with them to find their balance and to, you know, and to socialize and not be afraid of things. And you, you work on all kinds of fun little things. I don't start dogs jumping at all until they are at least six months old. And then at six months old, they're barely going over something. You know, growth plates are growth plates, you know, whether it's a, a papillon or, you know, or a big chessie, you know, they all close at different times, so you got to be careful and watch those growth plates. So, no, I, you know, I don't start dogs weaving until they're mentally and physically capable of understanding, which is somewhere around a year, sometimes later. So, yeah, we're, we are all very mindful of, of growth plates and maturity and how the girls usually mature quicker than the boys. <laughs> <laughs> And I, you know, I think that's prevalent across the breed, and I think you're dead on about maturity. You know, I think Tollers specifically tend to mature a little bit later than other dogs, especially the boys, uh, both physically and mentally. Uh, so, oh, yeah. So it was good to hear you say that. I've, I was going to do a whole podcast later on about, uh, boy, what do people call it, drive, uh, also, pressure, how a dog takes pressure. And I really think that pressure is a is a learned thing and that it starts really early. So 
you know, seeing all the breeders on Facebook and the other ones that I know that are doing things like playing sounds of gunshots and putting teeter-totters in, uh, in their whelping pens and in their play areas in their X-pens is, is just awesome. I think it's one of the reasons we have just a really great breed is the diligence of those breeders and people like you that are really doing everything they can to get good information out and, and help us. So... Um, I do have a few more questions about agility, but I might save them. I want to talk to you about clear canine lymphoma education awareness and research. Uh, okay. as you know, I lost the world's greatest dog. We called him Wonder Mutt unexpectedly at eight years old. And uh-huh. I, I don't think I've been through a more crushing experience in my life. And I'm a guy that lost my dad when I was 14 years old. So having said that, I know that you and Kim had gone through a a similar experience. So maybe you can tell us how you started clear. Well, back in 2011, uh, we lost two of our great dogs, uh, Tango, who was a toller, and Curry, who was a border collie, um, just 11 days apart and it was kind of a it was kind of a hard blow and then in November of the same year uh, my heart and soul dog Reveille who also was a border collie was diagnosed with um, nasal lymphoma and chronic lymphocytic leukemia and I was quite devastated and didn't know what to do and searched the internet and talked to friends and and I wasn't sure when I was going to lose her or how long I was going to have her, but for some reason something told me to start a cancer foundation and I had no clue how to start a cancer foundation. I thought like, oh, you know, like like Mickey Rudy and Judy Garland, hey, let's put on the show. Judy needs a new pair of shoes, you know? It was like, <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I thought it was just going to be like start a cancer foundation. So, I decided I would do this, and I contacted many of the uh, national uh, foundations, trying to get them to talk to me. And I, you know, I was going to raise money and give it to them. Well, no one really got back to me. And a friend of mine, a Dr. Dodie Timeway, she said, "Terry, you should talk to this um, oncologist by the name of Greg Ogilvie." I said, "Okay." So she told me how to get a hold of him, and I contacted this man, and he called me back the next day. And we were chatting and chatting what was going on, what was going on with Reveille and everything else, and I told him what I wanted to do, and he pretty much told me, no, you're not going to do that. And I went, I couldn't figure it out. I barely knew this man. We've been on the phone 20 minutes. And he's telling me I'm not going to raise money and give it to another foundation. He literally said, I see greater things in you. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I'm going, okay, here's somebody I don't know telling me what to do. <laughs> it was quite interesting. And so we ended our conversation, and I thought about it. And I went, okay, what am I going to do? And so I came up with this you know, acronym, you know, CLEAR. Canine Lymphoma Education Awareness and Research, and I went, that is cool. Look at me. I've come up with a name. And that's when it hit me. It's 
all about education and awareness. And because of creating that name, I still didn't know what I was doing, but after creating that name, I went, yeah, it's education and awareness, because I couldn't find enough about the disease on my own. And there's a lot of people out there that are preying on people's emotions with these cures that are not found in any kind of scientific proof. And so you sit there and you go, people need help. So I decided I would do this. And upon doing it, I still didn't know where I was going. <laughs> and I decided I could do better good by creating documentaries on canine cancer. And that's how the documentary started. And that's how um, I got more and more involved in this. And uh, director Stacy, as I call her, Stacy Zipfel, who's our director, who's directed all the documentaries. Uh, she then became a huge part in CLEAR, and um, together we're making a difference. We're now funding research at Cornell. We've had some successful research projects come to fruition that is actually helping helping the uh, study of cancer. So, so things are going pretty cool right now. It's a neat place to be. So... You know, you, you mentioned that, and I love your documentaries. Oh, man, do I. I was almost in tears on that last one you guys released last year. And uh, my question is, is in the funding of that research, I think you're kind of on the forefront of what more everybody's doing instead of just one single university. Uh, can you tell me about the direction that maybe lymphoma it's itself is going in and what they're doing and what they're thinking now well um there is we our first research funding was at cornell university and that was because one of the doctors we work with here told us about this research by the name of dr christian richards at cornell uh who was doing uh research on canine lymphoma cell lines trying to create uh, canine lymphoma cell lines to help uh, with dosage and, and you know, ways to, to, to help find, hopefully, a cure, but better dosage and treatments uh, for canine lymphoma. Now, what a cell line is, simply, is the cancer living outside the body. And there are cell lines for hemangiosarcoma and, mm-hmm. you know, all, all other kinds of cancers. Now, for some reason, lymphoma seems like it is the difficult uh, cancer to create cell lines. There has been one, if I'm not mistaken, cell line that was created by accident many, many, many years ago. And it's been very elusive trying to recreate these cell lines. Uh, when we met Dr. Richards, she had a, a, an idea on how she wanted to do it. And she was an incredible person. And so, we decided to go ahead and help fund that research. And if you go on our website, um, there's a little video about that research and what has been accomplished. We actually were able to create those canine lymphoma cell lines, which have not been created for years, if not a couple decades. So we now have canine lymphoma cell lines that we help fund, where researchers, and it's not just for Cornell, it's all over. Um, I was at a research Institute, and I mentioned that we were working with Cornell and we created these cell lines, and they went, you did? 
tell you, Terry, you know, I'm a good old-fashioned Colorado country boy, and I'm in for the butt kicking on cancer. You can count on me. <laughs> um, I will, uh, I, in my research, you know, one of the things I got excited about now, granted, Trapper had T-cell, which for those of you that don't know, if your dog's going to get lymphoma, T-cell is not the one you want. <laughs> it's it's B-cell. Um but uh, looking at some of the studies that they were doing, some of the universities, I really got kind of excited about this immunotherapy. It kind of made sense to me. Now, is that something that they're looking at in terms of lymphoma and immunotherapy? There's, there's all kinds of immunotherapy work being done on all the cancers out there. Um, so it's, it's a pretty neat thing. I mean... Because of that, we've got a new, a new drug that is the first mm-hmm. FDA um, additionally approved drug for lymphoma, and that's Tenovia. Uh-huh. And that's, that's a really neat thing that we're, we're starting to find. These immunotherapies helping to find other ways to find these, these cancers. So it's, 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 a, it's a pretty neat thing. I'm... Immunotherapy is, is, and targeted therapies, mm-hmm. those are... Those are where people are going now. Well, there was just, you know, talking to our oncologist, Molly, at uh, VRCC here in Denver, and I'd give her a shout-out because she was just so absolutely wonderful uh, that I cannot, I, I cannot thank her enough for what she did for our family and for Trapper during the time. But, 
you know, talking to her, we, uh, the immunotherapies we got really excited about. Um, but it just seems that something she said to me really stuck out. And she said, you know, we all have cancer. It's floating through our bodies every day. Our bodies are fighting it, putting it off. And same thing with dogs. And she was talking about, you know, that trigger that makes a dog quit fighting it or a human. And that that was one area. And then the other area was actually cures for it uh, and the immunotherapy and other other things. So talking about that, how much, and it's something that's always bugged me. And I'll just throw it out there and tell everybody that uh, a year before Tramper got cancer, I killed my lawn off with Roundup. And I've heard everybody's opinion from one side saying it's just soap, it's not a problem, to, yeah, it definitely causes lymphoma. The coincidence is there. And I try not to beat myself up by thinking that I killed my own dog. But do you think there's a lot of external, are you seeing any studies showing that there's an external influence, maybe an environmental influence into some of these cancers? Environmental is a huge, huge impact on cancer, human, mm-hmm. human or um, canine. I mean, it's true, we all have cancer. It's how our body responds to, to that. Um, I have cancer, and, and I, I'm, I'm a, a survivor, and I'm fine. Um, and it was just how my body reacted and fought it, and I, I was lucky I caught it early. Um, Ripper, my... My new heart and soul dog, my, my taller who won the national championship in 2017. Hey, can um, I stop you? Can I stop you right there and tell you that if you ask your wife, you will find out that Ripper might even be my heart and soul dog. <laughs> I have always, I have always loved him. Not only did he look like Trap, but he's got that look in his eyes that he knows what everything's about before you even get there. So, so I'm sorry. Go on. No problem. Uh, we found a, a lump on his uh, uh, front leg, and we had it biopsied, and it turned out to be cancer. And it's been removed, and we got the margins, and and he's fine. He's great. He, I'm ready to go back to nationals uh, in March of this year, and we're ready to to win again. But you know how. Each one of these little things responds. You never know. He had um, an immune-mediated vasculitis that happened just before the cancer. So, you know, did the something cause the immune system that caused the immune-mediated uh, vasculitis that then caused the cancer? I don't know, and no one's really probably going to know. Um, but this is what everybody's working on. Um, I mean, secondhand smoke, we all know that causes cancer. Mm-hmm. There's there's long chemicals we know that cause cancer. Um, I am you know I can't say what causes cancer because I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not doing those studies, and I'm sure there are studies out there you know about you know certain you know household cleaners or or certain things that are you know are, that are people are looking into. But yes, the environment, pollution, stress, inflammation. You know, all that contributes. So that so that leads. How our body fights. 
Well, that kind of leads me into my my next question. You know, uh, when you lose a dog, especially one that you have full rights to and you have a bunch of breedings frozen on them, naturally your next step is to want to get one of those dogs. And uh, I've talked to several oncologists that said that they felt that it was more that lymphoma itself was more of an environmental, that there wasn't any proof that it was hereditary. Uh, I asked one of them, I said, is it genetic? And she said, well, everything's genetic, you know. You're breathing, it's genetic. Um, But is it inherited? And she said she didn't feel it. So we're kind of sitting back and watching Trapper Offspring and uh, other puppies out there to see what's going on. Now, I know... There's there's definitely some uh, hereditary genetic... Uh, breeds are predisposed to certain cancers, so there is some of that that is definitely part of it. Okay. Now I know in Goldens, um, in Goldens, there's a lot, but is is it lymphoma? Is it uh, lymph- what? lymphoma, a sarcoma? Um, you know, with flat coats. Um, the same thing, histiocytic. Um. With your Rottweilers, your giant breeds, you've got osteo, I mean, but, you know, these cancers can strike any breed at any time. Well, and I guess that's a frustrating thing for me, Terry, is because, you know, it's, it's oh my God, if, if it is hereditary, why aren't we seeing it in his siblings or in his kids? And granted, some of his kids are a year or two away from being at that magical, you know, six to eight, nine-year-old age where they get it if it's early onset from my research, and I could be totally wrong. Um, but, you know, why isn't it more prevalent like JAD? You know, you breed breed two JAD carriers together, you probably get in JAD. <laughs> but um, it doesn't seem that cancer works that way, and it's just so very frustrating. No, cancer is smarter than us. And, and you talk to any oncologist, any researcher, cancer is smarter than us. It, it, you find one way to attack it, it's going to find another way to attack back. Um, well, we really, so, we really saw that with lymphoma, you know, in the way they structured the chemo and the drugs that they gave them. Uh, you know, trying to trick cancer because it would it would get smart to one drug and it, that drug would quit working and you'd have to go to another. And, you know, thank God they had all those because our dog had a great quality of life and appeared very healthy and very happy right up until probably the last three days. And then all of a sudden those last three days, it was like everything quit working and goodbye. Yeah, it, 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 it happens that way. Um, so, you know, luckily it's an indolent kind of disease. So, you know, Trapper was not trapped out, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, those last few days wasn't feeling, you know, wasn't feeling good, but, you know, there's not a lot of, not a lot of pain these dogs feel when they're doing this. I mean, yeah. Lovely lived, lived a full year while undergoing chemo and radiation the entire time, and she ended up having the best agility career year while undergoing all of this. Yeah, was, and that's kind of what we saw, was that it was, he was just incredible. You know, it was like it didn't even phase him. 
And I don't think the lymph nodes were the ones that really got him, although they were increasing in size in his neck and in his legs, which means that throughout his body they were increasing in size and probably causing some discomfort. But I really think it was the load of calcium that uh, came with it that made him feel really bad, that made us make the decision of the inevitable. So, um, hey, can you uh, can you tell me about the cancer vaccines? I know that CSU is doing a study on them, and you had mentioned that you might be coming out here for your next documentary on them. Can you tell us a little bit about that? said and Terry I've taken up a a ton of your morning and thank you so much Uh, if you would hang on after we close up this podcast and uh, I would like to say to everybody that how blessed we are to have people like Terry in this world working towards a cure and if you've heard any of my other podcasts which for in my defense, I'm releasing a bunch of them at the same time, and we just got approved on iTunes. So we'll be on iTunes and we'll be on Podbean and Google. Or you can go to my website, highcountrytollers.com, and get that information. I will be posting, when I post this podcast, Terry's uh, email and. Uh, is that all right if we put your email up, Terry? If not, I won't sure, post it. I'll be post, posting Terry's email and his webpage and also Clear Canine Lymphoma's webpage. If you've heard any of my other podcasts, I, I close them off with saying, please donate. And this is why. This is where we can all make a difference and we can all gang up on cancer and take it to task. And I think together and collectively, we can be smarter and stronger than cancer and end up on the right side. And the neat thing is, is that it does transfer over into humans. A lot of these, doing my research, a lot of these cures that they're coming up with or advances not only work on dogs, but they work on humans and vice versa. So let me close the podcast up with this 
with this, as I always do, my my little prayer, and ask God to uh, make me the man my dog thinks I am, and beg him to give me his character. And also uh, remember people like Craig Katz that are in the breed making great duck calls and small sole proprietors that donate to our breed a ton. Uh, people like Terry, thank you, and donate to Clear Canine Lymphoma Education and Research. They need it. We need it together. And uh, thank you for another great podcast.